When you're young, you're often asked what you want to be when you grow up. Most little kids choose things like firemen or astronaut. They have no real concept of how difficult it is to be an astronaut or how unfortunately little firemen make as far as salary. Now you find yourself embarking on this new online business journey, and you have a very similar decision to make. What do you want to be when you grow up? Are you looking to travel with your family while making a full-time income? You're in the right place. Welcome to Touring Freedom with your host, Jason Wyatt. Hey, I'm Jason, and I'm here to help you on your journey to your journey. My goal is to help you build a completely mobile income so that you can enjoy a location-independent lifestyle. Today, I want to talk about how to actually make money on the road. If you've listened to the last few episodes, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about the generalities and the kind of woo-woo mindset stuff. So I'm going to really dig in on this one, and there, it's, it's going to be meaty. You might want to grab a pen. I'm going to run down all the ways that I see as good methods of income generation while on the road. You'll probably already know from having listened to the previous episode that there will be no, quote, get a job section. If that's what you're looking for, you're probably looking in the wrong place. Not only do I not see that as a secure way to go, it doesn't require a podcast about it. So if that's the direction you want to go, head on over to torfree.me FJ, and there will be plenty of resources there to help you find gainful remote employment. Now, what I will be discussing is four income sources and about seven different ways of how to implement them. These income sources I'm going to be discussing are products, services, affiliates, and ads. Just keep in mind that these are the actual income sources, and I won't necessarily be discussing how to implement those income sources and put them to work for you. That's going to have to wait to another episode. What I'm discussing here is just the revenue sources themselves and how each one works. Now, I know after listening to my first couple episodes, there are still a couple of people out there who doubted the legitimacy of online business and entrepreneurship, and I get it. You've been exposed to so many scammers pushing get-rich-quick schemes that making a legitimate living online seems a little far-fetched. After all, it's so far and away from what you've been taught most of your life and what most people are, are used to. We've been taught from a very early age that the daily routine of get up, go to work, go home, go to bed, rinse and repeat was the only way to earn a living. In fact, many people see those who are not stuck in that cycle as lazy, and they're not bashful about vocalizing that accusation. My goal with this episode is to help you better understand what the legitimate income opportunities are, how they work, and ways that you can implement those strategies. Once you understand some of these tactics and ideas, I hope that you might be able to have some ideas on how you can implement them to improve your life. Maybe one of these strategies will speak to you specifically and you will have a better idea of what you can do to create your own freedom. If any of these topics get too deep for you, don't worry. I will be doing future episodes diving more in depth and in detail into a lot of these strategies so you don't have to worry about really comprehending everything that I'm discussing in this episode. This episode is really designed to be more of an overview. I don't want 
you to get overwhelmed with the information here. I'm just going to give you a kind of a bird's eye view of how each business model works without a bunch of clutter that may serve just to muddy the waters for you right now. So let's go ahead and define what those four sources of income are before we discuss different ways of implementing them. I'm going to start off with a form of revenue that almost everyone is familiar with, ads. I mean, everyone is at least familiar with the concept. Everyone knows this revenue stream, if only for the fact that everyone has been exposed to them, whether it be print ads in newspapers and magazines or commercials on TV and radio or, or even relevant to the full-time RV or billboards on the side of the highway. Most everyone knows what I mean when I say ads. Ads on the internet can take several forms. They may be just a still picture on the side of a website similar to, that's kind of similar to billboards. These are called banner ads. There are also video ads like commercials on TV. You see these a lot on YouTube and increasingly on Facebook. Both of these are logical because they are very similar to the types of ads that we've been exposed to our entire life. Later on, we'll dig into some of the business models and throw in a couple of ideas that may not be quite so obvious. Now, another income stream could be offering a service. This could be bookkeeping, graphic design, audio or video editing, coaching, or many of the numerous services that can be offered remotely. The list is actually quite literally too long to list. This is where most of my income originates since I offer online marketing services to, to businesses. Now offering products is another way to make some money and this is one of the ones that people are familiar with. This is literally selling products online. Now, while selling physical products makes sense to most people, something that many people don't think about is selling digital products. Digital products can take the form of ebooks or apps or software or even online courses. All of these are viable digital products can be sold to make a, a very nice living online. The good thing that makes the digital products even more lucrative than the physical ones is while the physical products carry with it a cost of goods sold, for the most part, digital products do not. While it is possible to run out of inventory on physical products, Digital products can be infinitely reproduced. The final type of revenue I'm going to discuss in this episode is affiliate revenue. This is perhaps the most difficult type of revenue for some folks that are at their heads around. You can basically think of affiliate revenue as a type of ad that you don't get paid for unless someone buys. Many times this process is more lucrative for both the advertiser and the content creator. The reason is, while the advertiser doesn't have to pay until revenue has been generated for them, the commissions are usually higher than would be uh, coming from advertisements. So the content creator or affiliate, as they are called in this case, makes more income if they're able to make sales. Now with the affiliate model, sales are usually tracked through a unique link that is provided to the affiliate from the vendor. If the customer clicks on the unique link, they're tagged as having come from that specific affiliate, and if the customer buys, the affiliate will get credit for that sale. Some of the confusion on this concept comes from the customer feeling like the person who referred them is making money, which makes them spend more money. 
like the price went up since they went through an affiliate link. And this is simply not the case. It doesn't cost the consumer any more money to go through an affiliate link as it does to go directly to the website. Let's look at an example. Amazon is perhaps the most popular affiliate program in the world. The reason for this is that people shop there anyway, so it's really easy to recommend a customer buy something from them. Whether the customer goes to Amazon directly or clicks on the affiliate link, the price Amazon shows is going to be the same. The only difference is that if the customer is tagged as coming from an affiliate, the affiliate will get paid a small percentage of the sale as a reward for referring the customer. The commissions can vary greatly from 1% to 10% on physical products to 50% or occasionally even more on digital products. And while I used Amazon in this example, it was solely because they are the most well-known. They're definitely not the best program out there. Their commissions were already pretty low historically, but in the last couple months, they have actually reduced them even further. And I no longer recommend Amazon affiliate program unless nothing else makes sense. It's much easier to find your product from a different supplier as long as your audience would receive the comparable prices and service from that other supplier. Uh, obviously, if the service or price is better at Amazon, you got to keep your community's best interest at heart when you're referring them to buy something. If you don't, you'll lose audience. So as long as your audience is receiving comparable prices and service from that other supplier, it's much better to go and find that product elsewhere other than Amazon. Now let's get to looking at business models that you can use to put these revenue streams to work for you. Now the first model I want to talk about is blogging. I think blogging is one of the least understood online businesses from a newbie point of view. I talk to so many people who think that they can start writing blog articles and posting online and they have a business. Well, I've kind of got bad news for you. Blogging is not a business. That's right. I said it. Blogging in and of itself is not a business. The good news is there are ways of making it one. Blogging is not a business until you combine it with some or even all of the revenue models that I discussed in the last section. Let's go over some examples. One of the first things people tend to gravitate towards when first starting out blogging is ads. They go to an ad network like Google AdSense, which pays them a few cents every time someone clicks on an ad. After they figure out that they need tens of thousands of unique visitors per month to make a decent living from AdSense, they tend to start selling banner ads directly to advertisers. While this does increase their revenue, it doesn't allow your efforts to realize their full potential. As proof of that, you only have to realize that the people placing ads on your site wouldn't be doing so if they weren't making more money by placing the ad than they had to spend on the ad itself. I would submit that you should be the person buying ads on your blog instead of selling that right to someone else. Your blog should advertise your services, your products, or whatever it is that you provide. The blog is only to bring in people. Obviously, if you plan on having those hundreds of thousands of visits per month, you know, maybe ads is the way you should go and you can just solely concentrate on your writing. But let's be honest, very few people are able to reach that mark. And what I'm trying to do is focus on good income generation that the masses can implement. 
at the very minimum, if you are running a blog, you should be generating affiliate income. This is a great place to start for three reasons. First, the products that you will be promoting have already been produced by someone else. So it's no extra work on your part. Second, if you're promoting relevant products and speaking in a way that makes sense to your audience, the sales are going to be much greater than a simple banner ad. That means your revenue will likely be higher as well. But probably the biggest reason this is a great place to start is that it can be used in conjunctions with all other revenue models. So if you still got some banner ads going, you simply add on affiliate recommendations on top of that to see how it goes. You can just dip your toe in the water. Since it does fit in well with other revenue methods, affiliate income should rarely be phased out, if ever. It could just be added to on top of other sources of income. But let's get back to the real reason you should have a blog, to sell your product or service. You should have some sort of product or service to offer your audience. In fact, your blog should be the tool you use to gather an audience of folks within your target market. For instance, you could be selling pet products. This applies to both physical or digital products. For example, you could be selling dog collars, or dog training courses. That's an example of both physical and digital products. You would want to create a blog about dogs, obviously, but you don't have to specifically focus on collars or training for that matter. You could write articles on health and nutrition of dogs, among a myriad of other topics. Your goal should be to provide your audience with the best content possible on a wide array of topics, while you ensure that the articles are attracting the exact target market for the product that you are selling. So in this example, you wouldn't want to publish any off-topic articles such as cat care, unless it was something to the effect of taking care of cats while not neglecting your dogs or, or something like that. It, it still has to go back to the dog thing. Make sure your content is always speaking to the same target audience as your products. So the next business model is YouTube. Yes, the great and all-powerful YouTube. I see so many people think they can just start a YouTube channel and make a living, but it's way more complicated than that. Even my son thinks that all he has to do is play video games on YouTube and all his problems will be solved for his entire life. So let's dive into this one and see how it really works. First, let's talk about ads. Ad revenue is the income source most commonly associated with YouTube. This is where you put up your YouTube video, but before someone can watch it, an ad plays. The person watches the ad, you get a few pennies. This is basically a revenue sharing program from Google. You produce the content and Google gets paid for displaying an ad on your content and then in turn shares a small portion of that ad revenue with you as a reward for creating content that people want to watch. But it's not an easy program to get into. There are several requirements, the most difficult of which for a newbie is that you have to have at least a thousand subscribers. You could have tens of thousands of people watching your videos, but if you don't have a thousand subscribers, you're not going to get paid. My good friend Ryan Bell from the YouTube channel Outdoors Embrace has an awesome channel all about van life. I recommend you go check it out. He's been making most, if not all, of his income from YouTube. He's done quite well with it. It's difficult for most people to reach that first thousand subscribers, but he was able to do it relatively quickly. I hope to have him come on a future podcast episode to discuss exactly what strategies he used to get to that point so quickly. 
But there are some pretty big dangers in relying on YouTube revenue share as your sole source of income. Ryan's revenue has dropped significantly since the COVID shutdowns and the crisis began. The average three months is only 30% average revenue of the prior 10 months. So to explain that and break that down a little bit further, Ryan provided some of his numbers to me and I just averaged the last three months during the COVID crisis and I came up with one number. And then I averaged the previous 10 months together and came up with another number. Comparing those two numbers, the average month before COVID and the average month after COVID, his numbers have gone down by 64%. His actual revenue is only 36% of his old revenue. How would you feel about trying to get by on a third of your current pay? Heck, I wouldn't recommend relying on any one source of income that could kick you off the platform at any second, even if you did nothing wrong. There are plenty of people who are getting kicked off platforms like YouTube and Facebook. They're, they're getting kicked off left and right without doing anything wrong. And they're left to fight to get reinstated. I know of one person specifically that runs a tech YouTube channel that got booted off the platform this past February. He fought to get it back for months. YouTube finally contacted him last week to say they investigated and found that he was operating within terms of service and was reinstating his account. This is a man who lost a YouTube channel with 274,000 subscribers for no reason at all and was completely without that revenue stream for four months. And there's nothing he could do about it. I'm not saying that YouTube ad share revenue isn't a good source of income. It most definitely is. It's fairly passive and most of the time it's pretty steady. My problem is that you don't control it. And I personally don't like allowing any outside party to have control of the majority of my income. Now, there are ways to diversify that ad share revenue, though. Most people know to put affiliate links in the description of their video, but sadly they seem to be mostly stuck using Amazon affiliate links and suffering from a low percentage rate going that direction. Just like blogging, you can use your YouTube channel as a method of gathering an audience to sell products and services too. In fact, if you do this, you may find the products and services to be more profitable than the YouTube ad share. If you hit that point, you may want to think about actually turning off all the ads from your channel completely. The reason being that leaving them on provides your competitors access to the audience that you've worked hard to build. Whatever direction you choose to go with your YouTube channel, always, and I do mean always, have other outlets and a backup plan. First and foremost, you need a website. It could be as simple as a blog with your videos embedded on it. The point is, it's property that you own and a way to communicate with your audience outside of the platform that someone else controls. Secondly, you need an email list. All of your videos should be directing your viewers to your website where hopefully you can get their email address. This will provide you a method of communication to your audience should you get cut off from that primary traffic source. Using these two strategies, the guy with a YouTube channel that I told you about that had 274,000 subscribers and got booted, 
he was able to create a new channel and quickly grew that channel back up to 96,000 subscribers. While he wasn't able to get all the way back up to where he was before, it did provide him a good safety net and a head start on a rebuild in case he didn't get reinstated. So let's talk about e-commerce. E-commerce is a great revenue stream. As a matter of fact, I've helped many people get out on the road by teaching them e-commerce. And I want to look at a few models within the e-commerce umbrella and discuss the good and the bad of each one. First, let's define what I mean when I say e-commerce. Now, the actual, you know, real definition may be different, but when I talk about e-commerce, I'm talking about selling physical goods. I'm talking about selling those products by eBay, Amazon, Etsy, or even your own website. As many of you know, I've been a big proponent of Amazon FBA for many years. It's actually what helped me leave my job and get out on the road. The great advantage to this method is that you can ship all of your inventory to Amazon and they hold it in their warehouse until it sells. Once it sells, they ship it to the customer for you. Now, there are a couple of drawbacks to this method. First, the fees are steep. Between storage fees, because they don't store it in their warehouse for free, paying commission because it's their customers you're selling to, shipping fees to them, and they charge you more fees when they ship it to their customer. I mean, th the list goes on. You're going to be spending more than a third of the sale price on fees in most cases. This can be profitable, but you just have to do more volume to achieve a full-time income. When I started on Amazon back in about 2014, it was relatively easy to find items that I could double my money with, even after all the fees. That's not so much the case anymore. Second, it can be cumbersome to prep shipments to go to Amazon in a small space. Now, it can be done. I know of one of my students who was traveling in a small Class B van, and they were selling on Amazon. They actually sent me pictures of them parked in front of a Lowe's in the parking lot with boxes strewn all around their van. They were processing a shipment right then and there, and it required more space than what they had inside the van, so they just moved outside the van. So, I mean, you can do it if you're determined, but it can be difficult. Most of my Amazon students have either given up the business because of space restrictions, or they decided to, to go off the road so that they could expand their business. And of course, neither one of those outcomes are really what we're looking for here. Now, the last drawback to selling on Amazon is the fact that you are selling to Amazon customers. These are not your customers and you don't have access to them. That means you can't build a sustainable business of your own. You'll always be reliant on Amazon and susceptible to their rules and possible shutdowns. As we discussed earlier in the YouTube section, I'm not a big fan of allowing one platform that much control over your business. Another form of e-commerce that is more tailored to the mobile lifestyle is drop shipping. Drop shipping is basically when you find a supplier of an item that you can buy for a steep discount and sell for full price. And when you sell the item, they agree to ship it for you to the customer in unbranded packaging. And actually, I've actually found some suppliers that will even brand the packaging for you for an extra fee. So it actually looks like it's coming from you. As I mentioned in the first episode, this is actually how I got started online back in 2008. I found a supplier of self-defense supplies and built a website to sell those. Once I made a sale, I would just log into the back office of my supplier, fill out a form with the customer's address for shipping. 
And this is a great business model for the full-time traveler. But there are a few things you need to be aware of. First, you're not getting wholesale pricing no matter what they tell you. They can make a lot more money selling those items wholesale in bulk and not having to worry about storing the inventory in their warehouse or shipping the individual item to customers. So it's reasonable that since they are providing these extra services to you that they actually get paid for it. But this will cut into your profit. But you know what? The freedom can be worth it. Also, with drop shipping, you need to ensure that you can accurately keep track of inventory. Now, this isn't easily done, seeing as you don't actually have access to the inventory. The best solution here is to have a software on your website that integrates directly with your supplier so that when they run out of inventory, it's automatically removed from your website. Only a few suppliers offer any kind of system like this. When I was doing it, that kind of technology wasn't even heard of. <laughs> it sucked. Now, one relatively new form of dropshipping has emerged over the past few years. It's called print-on-demand, or POD for short. This type of dropshipping is great for creative types. You can design t-shirts and coffee mugs and a variety of other types of merchandise with your own custom artwork. You can make the, de the design and it's printed and shipped only when the customer buys it. So they can have a stack of blank t-shirts, you know, in mass and they don't have to use them until they're bought. They print it right there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good system. And if you're the artsy kind of type person, it's a great model. Not only is it easier to create your own brand that might attract its own following, but you also don't have to worry as much about those inventory levels as you do with other drop shippers. And, you know, some POD suppliers have been known to run out of product, but it is very rare occurrence. Now, there's also eBay and Etsy. Now, these are great venues to sell your wares, but for obvious reasons, you're going to be restricted to small items because you will have to hold your own inventory. I do know of people who have done great selling things like newspapers and magazine clippings on, on eBay and small crafts on Etsy. It, it can be done. The good news is that it's a lot easier to get access to your customer's info on these platforms so you can easily grow your list of customers and get them to your own website so you can save money on commissions and fees. Now I hear a lot of people talking about traveling around making money from vending at craft shows. Well, let me tell you, it's tough. I know, we do it. It's the main source of income for my wife's business. Maybe one day I'll have her come on here and talk about how and why she loves it so much, because I really don't. I know she likes the people in the community that surround craft shows, and, and I like that part too. But there are a lot of other things I don't like. Number one, storing inventory and equipment. You know, for years we've been stuck in a toy hauler because we need the space for inventory. You know, tents, tables, other assorted equipment. I mean the list goes on. I think we finally found a bunkhouse that we might be able to make work, but we're having to give up other things that are important to us in the name of storage, such as an onboard generator, because where the generator is supposed to go, we're going to have to use for storage for the booth. Now, you are also at the mercy of show promoters. If they don't do their job, the crowd doesn't show up, and there's nothing you can do about it. To make matters worse, right now, during this pandemic going on, there are no shows at all, which brings the show revenue to a nice round figure of zero. 
Now, the best thing about shows is that the customers you're able to obtain are yours. It's easy to talk them into giving their email address in exchange for a coupon or an extra little trinket. Once they're on your email list, you can get them on your website to buy from you later without having to go to a show. Now, the final models I wanted to talk to you about kind of go hand in hand, so I'm going to lump them together in this section. They're freelancing and virtual assistant. With freelancing, you do work for others, but you aren't tied down to a particular employer. Someone might contact you to do a job that would only take you a few hours to do, and after that, you could move on to a project for another client. The main difference between these two is kind of relative. A freelancer could have hundreds of clients that they did occasional work for, while a virtual assistant is more committed to their client. VAs, as they're called, will either commit a certain number of hours to a, a specific client each week or commit to doing a certain task on an ongoing basis. For that reason, a VA may only have five clients or they may even commit all their time to one client full time. These type of businesses can be done through marketplaces and that's really where you have to start is a marketplace such as Fiverr or Upwork. It can be done independently on your own, but you're going to have to build up your reputation first. Now, the best thing about these models is scalability. Once you get enough work, you can actually start outsourcing some of it. Doing this, you could end up growing into your own agency where you no longer have to do any of the actual work, but you act more as a project manager overseeing your workers. Both of these are great models, with the main drawbacks being that they are very hands-on to get started. You'll have to start off on one of those marketplaces that charge significant commission, and you'll have to work there until you build up a good enough reputation to go out on your own. Even though I don't believe in truly passive income, I do believe in making your income as passive as possible, and these two business models won't be anything resembling passive income until you grow large enough to operate more like an agency and have workers doing your work for you. It's a long journey from one point to the other, but once you do finally get there, it's well worth it. Now, in this episode, I've tried to give you a good overview of several income generation ideas and my viewpoint on each. I hope it's obvious by now that I don't believe in any of these models by themselves. They should all be used in conjunction with some of the others. If you're freelancing, you should be blogging to grow your target audience and improve your reputation within the community. If you're YouTubing, you should be selling either physical or digital products. Also, this is definitely not meant to be portrayed as an all-inclusive list. I did my best to, to list a nice selection of business models that I see as the most viable options, but this should still only be seen as an idea generator and not the end-all be-all list of profitable mobile businesses. If I were to list them all, we would be here all day. Now, another thing you probably noticed by now is that to run any of these online businesses, you're going to need a website. And I realize this can be one of the most intimidating things that is a roadblock for most people who are starting online businesses. That's why I created a free course where I show you over the shoulder how to build a website from scratch. It goes through everything you need to know, even if you're not a technical person. By the end of this course, you'll be able to make your own website. To sign up for that course completely free, you can go to torfree.me website. 
and you can find it there. I hope to see you there. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed so that you don't miss future episodes where we'll dive deep into other forms of revenue generation and implementation tactics. And while you're there, go ahead and give the podcast a rating and review. Well, assuming it's a good review, of course. If it's a bad review, it would actually be better if you contacted me directly with your feedback so I understood what I can change to earn a five-star review from you. Just shoot me an email at jason at touringfreedom.com. Let me know how you think I can improve the podcast. And if you like the podcast, tell a friend. If you don't like the podcast, tell an enemy. Online business makes for great campfire conversation, so just bring it up. I'm Jason Wyatt, and I'll see you on the road. Thanks so much for listening to Touring Freedom with your host, Jason Wyatt. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit touringfreedom.com. On Twitter at TourFreeRV and on Instagram at touringfreedom and facebook.com slash touringfreedom. We'll catch you next time on Touring Freedom.